Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. We're so grateful that you found us. The JCBC Podcast is a collection of sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. Right now, we're in a new series. It's called How to Be Human. We hope if you're in town or close by, you'll stop in and join us 11 o'clock Sunday mornings. Until then, subscribe and follow along. Friends, I want to encourage you to turn with me, please, uh, in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Mark, chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The reading of the sacred word it is reliable and it can be trusted. Let's pray together. And now, O oh God, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts simply be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray that you will now bless the words that proceed from my mouth so that in hearing we may never be the same. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm at the traffic light the other day. I'm over here next to City Barbecue. You know where City Barbecue is. Just follow your nose. It always knows. I'm at the traffic light there. I'm on Johns Creek Parkway about to turn northbound on 141. You know the place between the bank and City Barbecue. I'm in the turning lane. There are cars in front of me and there are cars behind me. I'm in the turning lane. I can't go forward. And I can't go back. I feel like the people of Israel at the Dead Sea. I'm right there, stuck, and can't go back. So I'm listening to my music, and it's a wonderful day. It's beautiful outside, and the tunes are pleasing to the soul. As I'm looking ahead, not touching my phone, I feel like this, I feel like these eyes, like staring at me, from the side, from my, I turn to look out my window, and there is a minivan stopped there and a woman sitting in it. Apparently, this woman, we'll call her Karen, <laughs> was in a hurry to get her pulled pork barbecue sandwich and could not get into the turn to get into the restaurant because clearly 
I was in her way. I looked around as if to see if there was something I could do, and there was nothing I could do. And she proceeded to call me everything but a Baptist preacher in that moment. I mean, it, the, the windows were up, and I couldn't hear it. But see, y'all have talked to me that way too, and I read her lips, and I could... Kidding. But she went off. She was so angry. Steam out of her ears like veins sticking out of her neck. What do you want me to... And she took off. She took off. It's the last I saw or heard from her. A couple of things are true, and I can, I can take them to the bank. One is... She must have really been hungry for that pulled pork barbecue sandwich. Number two, the thing that made her blow up that day had really nothing to do with me. But in that moment, I was the recipient of all this pent-up energy and rage and anger, and I, I was reminded in that moment, just as I remember now, that there are times when as human beings we can walk through this journey that we call life with a constant, steady, low-grade fever of anger just sitting in the pit of our stomach. And in the last two or three years, you know that that low-grade fever of anger that we just kind of all carry around with us has risen to kind of a fevered pitch in the last couple of years. There are angry people all around us and all within us. And maybe the better metaphor is that there are walking powder kegs everywhere you turn, and the tiniest thing can be the spark that just blows everything up. I'm curious today. What do you do with your anger? Maybe you do what the couple did. They've been married oh, so many years, spent decades together. They're at supper one night. And the husband has a moment of humility. Babe, I'm sorry. Sweetheart, I'm sorry that I've been, I've been so temperamental our whole life. I always blow up at you. I lose my temper. I take it out on you. And, and you're always so kind to forgive me. You just kind of pick up and move right on. And you seem to heal pretty fast. I don't know how you do it. How, how do you do it? And the woman said, no, that's easy. Every time you lose your temper with me and blow up at me, I just go and I clean the toilet. He said, why do you... What? How does that help you when I blow up at you? I say, oh, I use your toothbrush. But, but I, so. I ask you again, what do you do with your anger? Because here's what I also know as your pastor and as a fellow human being. Somebody's listening to me today, this morning, right here. And you are carrying around with you a kind of anger that is no laughing matter. It is no joke. And you wake up with anger and you go to work with anger and you come home and anger just amplifies. You go to bed angry, you wake up again and start the whole thing and you don't know what to do with it. And you take all of that anger, whether it comes from some source that's legit or not, you take all that anger and if you're a human being like me and the rest of us, you tend to take that anger and you project it on the people who are closest to you and who at the end of the day you will confess you love love the most, so then you feel guilty about it, and then you feel ashamed about it, and it makes you even more angry, and you continue to spiral. Today, we're in the midst of this series called How to Be Human, and we have attempted over these last several weeks to talk about these real-life experiences, like, like succeeding and failing, like, like grieving, like being afraid, 
real human experiences, we're trying to see through the lens of the eyes of the Son of Man, the truly human one, the one who came to show us the way, the truth, and the life, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and we fashion our living after Him. And today, I just, I just wonder if it would be worth our time to talk a minute or two about what to do with anger. Anger. And to do that the way I want us to approach it, the way I want us to look through the eyes of Jesus about anger is to ask three basic questions. And if you are carrying around with you in your pit, of the, of the pit of your gut, a kind of low-grade fever of, or a fevered pitch of anger today, I want you to begin with these three questions. The first is, where is it coming from? The second, where is it going and the third, what do I do about it? Where is it coming from? Where is it going? And what do I do about it? First, where is it coming from? It's probably a pretty healthy practice to learn as we grow how to enter into a real dialogue with your own feelings, your own emotions, the things that you carry around with you, your, your feelings, any kind of feeling, but especially anger. To ask questions of your anger, like where are you coming from? Because typically, we assume that we know exactly where we, we are angry, why we are angry, and where the problem is, and where it's coming from. But typically, the thing that we think we are angry about is really not the thing. We're angry about the thing behind the thing. And the thing is just an easy excuse. Karen really wasn't upset about having to go down and make a U-turn to get into City Barbecue. Karen, see, the thing was traffic was heavy. But the thing behind the thing, who knows? I mean, is it possible that maybe on that day, this is just one more reminder to her that she has nothing in control? Maybe it's just a tiny little reminder. It's like the spark of the powder keg that reminds her of how powerless she feels over everything that matters in life. She can't get the kids to talk to her. Her husband's never home. And maybe it's financial. I don't know. Maybe at the end of the month, there's more month at the end of the paycheck than there is paycheck at the end of the month. And she carries around this, this fever of anger and frustration. It's not the thing. It's the thing behind the thing. And sometimes when we carry around anger, I think a healthy thing is to ask your anger a question. Anger, what is the thing behind this thing? Because the answer to that question will change everything. Because it's possible that the, the, the thing that is actually making you angry, once you ask it and discover what it is, it could be, gosh, it could be a, a force for real good. And yet, at the same time, depending on what the answer is to that question, where's this coming from? It could be a formula for self-destruction. Ask your anger, where are you coming from? Because on the one hand, if you discover where it's coming from, it could be a force for real good. How in the world can your anger be a force for real good? Well, look at what Jesus did in this story we read about. He goes into this synagogue, and he looks around. There's a man with a withered hand, and he sees that the leaders, the ones who can actually do something about his care, don't even see him. 
They're more concerned with whether Jesus is going to break the rules of this tradition that incidentally was set up in order to care for people like the man with the withered hand. And he was so angry that the verse even says it that way. The verse there in chapter 3, he looked around at them with anger. Jesus was angry at them. He was grieved at their hardness of heart because he recognizes that this man who is vulnerable has come to the very center of the place where he can receive mercy and compassion and care. And the thing they were worried about most is, will Jesus break the law and heal on the Sabbath? And will we be justified in our pursuit of him? And so Jesus had anger, but it was an anger that came from a holy place. It is possible to have holy anger. He was angry because he recognized that there was something that was wrong in the room. Sometimes when you are angry, it's because you have a passion about something that could be so very good and it has gone so very wrong that you feel some kind of way about it. Do you know that I, I think sometimes anger is God's way of getting our attention. Here's how I want to put that. Sometimes anger is God's way of getting us to pay attention to something that has gone wrong in God's good world. Anger is sometimes God's way of getting our attention to help us pay attention to the thing that may have gone wrong in God's good world. Guess what? There is no abolition without some people getting angry about something that was so very wrong. There is no civil rights movement without a few people getting angry about whole systems that assumed some persons were three-fifths of a person. Anger at times, when it comes from a holy place, can be a force for good because then it could be that God is arousing your anger as an invitation to provoke you to take action, to provoke you to take action about something that has gone so very wrong in God's very good world. All acts of justice and mercy and kindness can at times be provoked by first be, being angry enough that something was broken. So you ask your anger, where are you from? Where, where are you coming from? And if it comes from a place in which God is provoking you to do some good, well, then that's, that's one thing. But at the same time, the answer to that question could lead you down a path of self-destruction. Sometimes we are angry because we prefer to put on anger as a kind of camouflage. Sometimes anger for us works as a smokescreen to disguise the deeper and sometimes more vulnerable emotions and feelings that we carry around, but we're not comfortable talking about those. So we'd rather just stay angry about it. So anger is something that we can posture, but, but if you've really been injured and that injury has led you to feel some kind of rejection or some kind of betrayal, and that betrayal arouses a kind of helplessness in you. And you feel vulnerable and shame. And, and you feel maybe fear. Well, nobody wants to talk about those things. Nobody talks about vulnerability around here, right? So I'll just remain angry. And anger masks what we are really feeling. It's never the thing. It's the thing behind the thing that arouses our anger. Where is it coming from? Because if you can get to where it's coming from, then you can do something about that. But the trouble is, sometimes we will hold on to anger and nurse it and caress it and 
culture, uh, cultivate it and nurture it, and then we'll just kind of stick it in our pocket and not get rid of it because it gives us some sense of hmm, control. It gives us some illusion of power when we are feeling so very powerless. So I'll just stick it here and hold on to it, and I'll pull it out when I want them to feel bad about the thing, and then I'll feel more confident and a little bit more in charge, and I'll put it back away. The problem with that, no matter where your anger comes from, it doesn't tend to stay in the same place. I've got my anger under control. It's right here. If I want to feel angry about it, I will. If I don't, I'll put it away. The trouble with anger is that anger moves. It creeps. It sneaks up on you. That's why the first question is to ask, where is, where is this coming from? But the second is, where is this going? Where is it, where is it going? Because your, your anger won't stay put. Yeah. 19 or 1894. 1894, there's a baseball game. The Baltimore Orioles go to Boston and play the Boston, wait for it, Bean Eaters. Isn't that a great name? The Boston Bean Eaters. And there's a play at third, and they got kind of worked up about it, and they get in a fight, these two guys, and they, you know, they go to fisticuffs, you know. And then they're fighting, and now the bench is clear, and there's a brawl, nothing big. That's what happens in baseball. But this one went a little far. It went into the stands, and then now the fans are fighting with the players, and the players are fighting with the the fans, and the fans are fighting with the fans, and it got out of hand, and, and a fire broke out. The whole stadium burned to the ground, and it spread through the city, burning more than 100 other buildings. And so it is with our anger. We think it's just a fight at third base. We think we'll just put it here and it's fine. I'll pull it out when I need it and I'll just keep it here nice and safe, but it doesn't stay where you left it last. And this is what Jesus taught about anger in the Sermon on the Mount. So in the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching about anger and these are the words in chapter five that he uses. He said, you've heard it said that to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. Fine. And, And whoever murders shall be liable to the judgment. Okay. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to the judgment. Sounds like a little bit of a conflict, doesn't it? But it's not. On the one hand, here is Jesus who clearly could get angry. We have examples of Jesus demonstrating anger all through the New Testament, and yet he's teaching, don't be angry. Well, that's because in this text, it's a fascinating play on words. In the New Testament, there are words to describe Anger. One of the words is, is uh, thumos. Thumos is a word that simply is defined passion, outburst, anger, wrath, and that's fine. That's like taking a match and striking a match, and it flares up, and then it goes out, and it's over. All of us experience thumos-type anger from time to time. Something goes wrong, we get upset about it, we flare up, we get over it. There's another word in the New Testament, however, it's called orge. Orge means impulse, anger, wrath. Kind of the same thing, but in this verse where Jesus says, don't be angry, the tense and the voice and the mood of that word is a longer word. This is what it looks like. Orgetsominus. Orgetsominus is a word that literally means remaining in anger. Jesus doesn't say, don't ever get angry. Jesus says, if you remain angry, destruction comes. 
Because Jesus knew that if you get upset with somebody, well, that's fine. But if you keep thinking about it and brooding on it and cultivating it and simmering it and then stoking the embers of it, it becomes bitterness. Then bitterness, hatred, and hatred, wrath. Then you're talking about the person. Then you're wishing them ill. And somewhere along the line, even though it was just a fist fight at third base, somewhere along the line, you've committed a kind of murder in the heart. Jesus says there's more than one way to kill a person. And if you hold on to anger and never deal with it, never let it go, the person who ends up dying is you. Through micro-deaths of hate, wrath, um, bitterness, envy, anger. Right? So he says there is a way to live without that kind of ongoing anger in us. So how do, how do you do it? I mean, how do, you, how do you come to that place? Well, I'm glad you asked me. This makes me so angry when I have to look at notes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, this is good. This is good. This is good. You should read this. Did you know that there are still bombs undetonated from World War II that go off almost every year in Europe. Nearly 100,000 tons of undetonated bombs lie just beneath the surface in places all throughout Europe. Just last year, in Berlin, construction site, they plow across this, this dirt and an undetonated bomb goes off, blows up a city block, hurts a bunch of people. Some people die. The problem is, even if you bury the explosiveness of your anger, see, over 70 years of erosion and corrosion, the bomb becomes more vulnerable and the, the detonation device that could set it off becomes more exposed. And all it takes is a shovel, all it takes is a plow, all it takes is a backhoe, and boom. It's possible when you ask your your, your anger, where have you come from? It's possible that you come from God. God is inviting you to join God with a holy anger to right things that have gone wrong in the world. But if your anger is coming from a hidden place where you've chosen to simply bury the thing and never deal with it, in time, it can blow up. So, what do you do about it? That leads us to the last question. What do I do about it? You can live free from perpetual anger. You can. There's a curious verse in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. It reads this way. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Every time I think about this verse, I can't hear this verse without hearing it through the East Tennessee accent of Hoyt and Bernice Shamblin. I was their pastor when I lived in Tennessee millions of years ago, and, and they were well into their older age. They had been married over 65 years, and we were talking about anger one day, and Bernice said to me, well, Sean, I know that we're not supposed to go to bed angry. I know we're not supposed to let the sun go down on our anger, so we just stay up and fight all night long. Now, there's an option, right? There's an option. But I love this text, this passage, this promise. Do not let the sun go down. Why? Because you can be angry and not let that angry anger provoke you into behaviors and attitudes that destroy you. You can have an emotion 
and not be controlled by the emotion. Whatever the emotion happens to be, whether it's anger or one of the emotions that anger tends to mask, you can be, oh, you can be betrayed and still work on trusting people. You can feel a sense of fear and still courageously put one foot in front of the next until you find your way again. You can have an emotion and not be controlled by the emotion, as is in the case of anger. Anger is just an emotion. But you can deal with anger in a way that doesn't control you. Well, you may ask me, how? You may ask me, how? Thank you. I'm glad you asked. And here is my humble reply. Freedom from anger comes when we move toward the suffering in this world. Now that may make no sense at all at first hearing, but I want you to let that marinate in you for just a moment. Freedom from anger comes when we move toward the suffering in this world. Like, Why would I want more suffering? No, don't negate the suffering that you feel with your anger. Anger is a kind of suffering. Anger is a kind of micro-death. Just like all the other emotions that your anger may be masking, don't downplay or deny the kind of suffering that you may be feeling with your anger. But I am telling you something else that's true. If in your anger and suffering you choose to move toward the suffering of another, something happens. Watch what Jesus did in the story. He's angry at the Pharisees and those who are looking to trap him because they ignore this very vulnerable man who needs their care. So watch what he does. He turns from them and directs all of his energy and focus and attention and love into an act of mercy and healing for the one who is suffering. Jesus is always moving toward the suffering in this world. And if you want healing from your anger, you move toward the suffering and something strange happens. Because I can be angry about what I'm putting in the gas tank every time I stand there and watch the numbers keep going. I'm like, my Lord, how long, oh Lord? And I can and am angry about the cost of gas. Amen? But I'm telling you the truth. If I mean what I say when I say it breaks my heart when I think about Ukrainians running from their homes, then it puts into perspective my suffering. It doesn't mean I don't have something to complain about. But when I move toward the suffering of another, whether in prayer or in by donating to an offering that's meant to assuage their pain, whatever I do moving toward the suffering of another, it puts in perspective my anger. And now I'm not controlled by it. I can feel it, but it's not going to control me. The other day, man, the time is up. You got time for one more? Can I get one more in here? All right. I had a really interesting thing happen the other day. Do you remember a few weeks ago, and I preached this sermon, and I had a red paper clip. And I talked about this guy, true story, who traded a paper clip up and got something better, then he traded it, got something better, eventually got a house out of it. Well, after that sermon, some of y'all came to me and gave me these red paper clips with cards of encouragement. One of you came to me and gave me a paper clip. I don't know if she's here or not with a $50 bill and said, see what you can do with that. Well, I tried on a few occasions to try to increase it. Like, hey, can I get something that nobody took, right? But I've been carrying that in my wallet for several weeks. And I've kept it there as a kind of sacrament. 
Lord, show me someone who may need this in the right time. Well, fast forward. A couple, three weeks ago, I had a really bad week. Not worth getting into right now, maybe ever. That's what I talked to Jesus and my therapist about, okay? But it was a bad week for me, and I was feeling all kinds of emotions, and anger was one of them. And I, but I had to go downtown. I had to go to the seminary, so I went to McAfee. And I get off on Shamley Tucker Drive there, and I'm moving toward the seminary, and there I'm in my car. I'm dressed up, you know, and, and there's always usually a homeless person or two there. And, and listen, you go ahead and critique me all you want. If I have it, sometimes I give it. Yeah, but they're going to spend it on booze, or they're going to spend it in ways that you don't know. Well, yeah, but they also may spend it on a sandwich. And they also may buy a blanket, right? So that's between them and God, right? My responsibility is to love the person standing in front of me at any given time. So I did, and at the same time, I then remembered I also I have this paper clip with a $50 bill. And that's a lot of money just to hand around, right? He has this cardboard. He comes up. I roll the window down. I give him what I give him. Then I give him the one with the 50. And then he says, uh, he takes a minute to see it. And then he just explodes with delight. He's like, oh, man. Oh, I wasn't expecting this. Oh, I don't know, man. No, no, I wouldn't. I said, go ahead. You're good. You're good. No, no, oh, man. And then he, he reaches in the window. And it's the first give me like a fist bump, an elbow. But then he's in my window, and we're in an embrace. And I'm like, whoa, dude. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. God bless you, man. God bless me. Yeah, God bless you too. All right, right on. And all of his aroma the te- I'm not even kidding. The texture of his weathered skin from having slept under what? Who knows what bridge? Who knows what? Co- and, and there we are, embraced. Dust, embracing dust. And in that moment, I was angry still. Yeah. At the same time, I was embraced by his suffering. And when you embrace the suffering of this world, you, you come to realize scales fall from your eyes, and you're not, you're not hugging a homeless guy. You're hugging Jesus. Yeah. And the Jesus is in the places where we hurt and where we suffer and where our open wounds are. And when we move to those places courageously, something happens in us. Our anger may be still felt, but it doesn't control us. So Jesus said, come unto me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. All will give you rest. I will give you rest. So, so perhaps today, if you're carrying around a deep burden in the pit of your gut, and it's anger that you can't seem to let go, find the suffering of another. Move toward them in love and see what happens.